0: You're listening to WJMSradio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, welcome. Welcome to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMS and across the ocean in the UK on Double Mint Radio. And as always, we welcome our UK listeners and we appreciate you joining us. So here we are, it is Labor Day here in the US, typically in a normal uh, existence. This would be sort of the de facto end of the summer as everybody then begins to uh, wind back up for work and school and and fall coming in and and all of that. However, with the uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic roaming around the world, Uh, This has been anything but a typical summer. We've seen, you know, an increasing number of people contracting the virus here in the U.S. and, of course, the corresponding rise in the number of people who have died from it. Checking our numbers, as we always do at the start of the show, in the U.S., we have 6.2 million cases of uh, coronavirus being reported and 188,500 people have died from the disease. Over in the U.K., you guys are sitting at about 344,000 cases and uh, 41,549 uh, people have died from the disease uh, in the U.K. Uh, your, your infection rate and corresponding uh, morbidity rate from it continues to be Very, very low, even taking into account population differences between the U.S. and the U.K. So you're week over week. uh, You're increasing consistently um, at around 50 additional uh, people dying from the disease week over week. Uh, And of course, one is too many. But, you know, when you compare the numbers, even balancing for the difference in population size, uh, again, the U.K. is doing apparently a much better job. Containing the illness over there. And uh, we, we, of course, wish that that will continue. And hopefully, you know, more people over here in the U.S. will take the heed, pick up the message, and help us slow down uh, the progression of this disease. Uh, related to that, there was some news that came out um, and uh, projections using the model that the administration has been using to project uh, cases and, and fatalities. And uh, the, the news that comes out from the medical and scientific community is that if you know the United States does not take a more uh, proactive and aggressive role uh, in, in protecting ourselves from this illness, you know through wearing masks, through social distancing, through, you know, uh, improved hygiene te- techniques, uh, we could be looking at and, and the projection is saying, that we could be looking at 400,000 deaths from this disease by the end of the year let that sink in for a minute 400,000 people will succumb to this disease Um, that that's inexcusable and yet we still see time and time week over week uh, that people are gathering in large groups without practicing the distancing they're not wearing masks You know, they are just not following the protocols Uh, over the last couple of weeks. I've talked about the uh, motorcycle rally, the bike week that happened in Sturgis, South Dakota. Well, we've had our first confirmed death of someone who attended that uh, rally uh, just this past week. And the infection counts of people who were in Sturgis continues to climb. So as we've noted It it looks like there will be more people who are at that rally uh, who will will both succumb to that disease and, unfortunately, who uh, may not survive it. So, you know, it it just goes to say, you know, we need to do what we need to do to keep ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities safe. All right. So getting into the news and getting into the political news specifically, um, this past week has been, you know, a, a crazy week among crazy weeks. And, you know, it, it is getting as I do this show each week and spend the days between shows researching and gathering the information I need to bring to you each week, this is getting to be, you know, a a more and more uh grueling and and uh crazy endeavor each week. Uh I I struggle some weeks and I you know, full disclosure, i struggle some weeks with which stories uh... to bring forward uh... again keeping with the theme of the show and talking about the mechanics of politics uh, but there's just so much going on in terms of how you know our, our political system is being affected by the things going on in our country right now whether it's the uh... coronavirus or the ongoing uh... protests that are happening in cities around the country or the response from the government to both of those things, and you know, just more. And then when you throw on top of that, that we are now uh, what 58 days, give or take, from the national election. So of course, all the political, uh, uh, <laughs> all the political jive is now kicking in and, and ramping up. As both uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden uh, continue to, to you know, run their campaigns, uh, Joe Biden noticeably is now getting out among the, the constituents more, although uh, to his campaign's credit, they are exercising a lot more restraint on mask wearing, social distancing than the Republican side seems to be. Uh, Donald Trump has had a couple of rallies over the past week where there have been significant sized crowds packed close together, uh, very few people wearing masks. And, you know, just he, he continues to flaunt uh, this disdain for the protocols we need to practice to help curtail this this disease uh, in sacrifice to his need to be in front of crowds of people and, and feel the adulation of his base and so forth. So when, when you, you roll all of this up, you know, it, it's really, really phenomenal with the amount of things going on that are impacting the political system in this country. Um, of course, the, the House and Senate have been away uh, on their, their August break. Uh, they actually, I believe, will return to work tomorrow. And and, hopefully, on the first things that they will be working on and getting a resolution to uh, is the needed uh, stimulus and and economic support for the the working people in this country, as well as the businesses and the school systems and the hospitals and the first responders. Um, You know, that in, in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of the amount of struggle that the average American is going through as a result of this coronavirus, uh, you know, it, it really kind of makes you raise your eyebrow at how they just can take a vacation uh, or you know, leave Washington. You know, technically, they return to their districts and work from their districts, but you know, uh, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of news come out about various senators and congresspeople uh, being about and around in their respective districts over the last uh, two and a half weeks that they've been uh, out of out of Washington, so you know it, it continues to be a situation where you know the the American people are struggling, uh, and you know we've got still some twenty million people or so that are unemployed, and you know yet. The, the economic package is stalled, uh, the aid to states uh, to help them prepare, uh, as well as continued support and equipment and necessary supplies needed by our first responders, our hospitals, our police and EMS personnel, et cetera, uh, to, to help combat this disease and help you know curtail it as there still is no uh, cure for it. There are at least three vaccines which are, you know, concluding or in the process of concluding their third round of trials uh, before they will, you know, be tested uh, more broadly on human subjects to determine how efficient and, and their efficacy in combating the disease, you know. And, and of course, the president is touting that there will be a disease, uh, a disease, there will be a vaccine. Uh, ready for wide distribution uh, by, as he said most recently in, in a press briefing, by the end of the year or maybe sooner, maybe around you know, early November, hint, hint, hint. Um, you know, and uh, again, just in my opinion, a, a distasteful uh, politicization of the suffering of the people in this country. His first role as as president of the United States and commander in chief is to protect the people of this country, uh, and you know to to do that to issue a vaccine, uh, short circuited through testing process uh, due to political pressure, uh, really really just uh, flies in the face of that that responsibility. So we'll see what transpires. You know, of course, we will stay on top of it and we'll keep you informed as to what's going on with the vaccine process. But again, you know, as we watch our elected officials in action, uh, we need to make sure that we're taking notes on these things and noticing, you know, what uh, things have have been you know, failed that they are supposed to be doing to take care you know, the, the argument and debate back and forth about the size and scope of the stimulus package. Just get a package passed. Just get, you know, funds to the people that need them. Uh, you know, there are people out there who've been out of work for an extended period of time. And, you know, there's also no uh, remedy for the eviction Uh, protections which expired at the end of August so on top of everything else of not having a job you now face the possibility of being evicted from your home uh, through technically no fault of your own and you know it, it just it just goes on and on so you know we need to be communicating with our elected officials we need to be blowing up their phones and their email inboxes and their social media and just letting them know that, you know, this is unacceptable and that they need to come back, take decisive action in a quick manner and resolve this situation. So, you know, we will keep we will keep on top of that uh, and and you know, keep you apprised as to what they're doing or not doing, as the case may be. So, you know, keep it locked here on WJMS radio and fired up show every Monday here. And uh, we'll be your, your information source. So that being said, want to shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, I, I've talked about many times on this show that the, the political games that are being played by our elected officials, both at the national level and the state level, uh, just is, is incredible and, and you know, unacceptable. Uh, and, and every other you know, bad adjective you can come up with. Um, You know, and and I just sort of put together some of the beads on the string of what, you know, the Republican administration in general and the president in particular have been doing and how these games are all being uh, being laid up as we get closer and closer to the election. You know, and, you know, with the latest breaking news this past week that the president called for North Carolina voters to file their mail ballots, then go to the polls to cast a ballot in person, quote, to test the system, close quote. Effectively, that's voting twice, which is illegal. Uh, I feel like we're being set up here, folks. I feel like we're being set up for a grand con uh, with regard to how this election is gonna be processed. Uh, The president in recent months has cast doubts on the voting system. The Republican members of the House and Senate are being complicit and complacent with his actions by not calling out the massive problems this will cause to any great extent. Let's look at some of the elements of this con that I think is happening or is going to happen when we get to Election Day uh, that have been put out there. You know, uh, the first Trump has repeatedly stated that mail in voting is wrought with fraud despite no evidence of widespread or large-scale voter fraud having ever been reported. However, let's caveat that what he said. It's okay in Florida, though, because that's where he votes. Uh, but the rest of the country, you know, mail-in balloting is, is going to be a disaster. He is supported through inaction efforts in states considered critical to an election, uh, to, to an election win, that is, to suppress the votes of key Democrat constituents and independent voters. Uh, he's placed in the minds of his supporters and the electorate in general the idea that the election will be rigged. Uh, similarly, the same, the same process he used in 2016, uh, again, that he's, he's calling that this is going to be rigged primarily against him, uh, yet he does not plan and he does not plan to accept the outcome. Uh, so, you know, that could end up being a court battle or something else just to create confusion in, in the transition of power uh, in, in uh, November and January should he be defeated. Uh, he's manipulated the information about the coronavirus that the public receives from downplaying the pandemic back in January to redirecting data reporting through restraints and restrictions uh, in, in by his attempt to redirect uh, the case reporting from the CDC to the National Institutes of Health over which he has more political control. Uh, he's using this manipulated information to cast doubt on the safety of the voting process. You know, if, if you're gonna go and the mailing process is highly flawed and is, is wrought with flaw, fraud and deceit, then you're gonna have to vote in person and risk getting the coronavirus uh, to cast your ballot. Um, he's also used fear and confusion again, aimed at at his Republican base to motivate voter turnout, turnout more, um, other rather than a review of his you know policy successes. And what I mean by that is he has consistently been talking about the problems that are going to be out there and the you know the the trials and tribulations, the danger that awaits. Uh, you know, for his Republican base to go out and vote rather than you know, campaigning on what he has achieved as president and what the Republican Party has achieved as a party uh, over the last four years. Um, he's continued to send out you know, dog whistle messages to his far right base, giving the wink, nod, and okey-doke to attack peaceful protesters and anyone else that he sees as opposing him. Again, and the, the Republicans are not uh, putting out calls of restraint or you know, condemnation or rebuke to the president for these actions, uh, you know, and, and just seem to be you know, complicit with what he's doing. Uh, most recently, the Republicans, particularly in the Senate, seem to be staging the economic benefits, as I just mentioned, so desperately needed by the average American during this crisis uh it's being staged you know to arrive perhaps just ahead of the november election hmm could that be considered as buying the vote there's a very debate worthy uh topic right there so you know give that some thought if you're going to base your vote on the fact that you got your long-awaited stimulus payment uh from from the republicans Uh, Is that a fair assessment of the job that they've done over the last four years? I just put that out there. And something interesting that that transpired just this past week, uh, the president issued instructions to the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, to instruct all federal agencies to eliminate all trainings that address subjects like white privilege, critical race theory, and paint America as a, quote, inherently racist country sparking arguments that the administration is promoting a revisionist history agenda aimed at further elimination of a narrative on minority participation in the American experiment. Um, You know, it, it, it just goes without saying that, you know, minority history, you know, Native American history, Asian history, black history, Hispanic history in this country aren't separate. They are part of the American history. Uh, They are part, you know, of the the fabric that built this country. And, you know, to excise them from American history uh, really is just wrong. And, you know, another bead, uh, the Trump administration is looking to shut down the long running and popular newspaper Stars and Stripes, by the start of the year and again this just came out within the last week or so uh... the paper which is published independently uh... of the government by and for members of the armed forces and has been doing so for more than a century has a strong history of independent journalism from the perspective of the frontline troops and has frequently been at odds with the administration policies historically again going back to if you are not a a fan of, you know, the the party in power or the president in particular, then you are an enemy and you will be dealt with, you know, and these are just a few. But as you start to string these dots along, you begin to see this thing, what I'm calling this grand con that's setting up. He's setting in motion uh, the doubts in the electoral system. Uh, ahead of you know, possibly being able to cl- declare the election invalid to try and find some way to uh, delay or disrupt the transition of power should he be defeated. Uh, and you know, this, this flies in the face of you know, what our elected leaders should be about. We elect our leaders regardless of their party or level to serve us by representing our wishes and best interests not to enrich themselves or to accumulate and acquire power for its own sake so you know this november 3rd you know regardless of which party you support you must vote in order to remind our current and future elected officials that they don't serve at the pleasure of the highest office they serve at our and can be removed from their office in multiple ways especially by our vote you know it it is critically important that you know that Americans turn out in high numbers and again Democrat or Republican it doesn't matter everybody needs to get out and vote and let the chips fall where the chips fall Uh, you know it, it this isn't about you know marshalling you know, the, the Republican base to the fullest extent or marshalling the Democrat and independent base to the fullest extent. This is about sending the clear message to our elected officials that the American public, that the people of this country, that we are engaged, we are watching, we are, are, are making sure that they do what we send them to do. And that process hits a milestone on November third, but it doesn't stop there. After the election, now we need to make sure that we're following up on that on that vote we gave, that we make sure we're communicating with our elected officials, that we make sure that we are telling them what it is that we are sending them to, you know, the city hall or the state house or the the Congress or the White House what we are sending them there to do. You know, and, and, and we have to bring that message and we have to bring it hard and heavy. Again, you know, it, the Republicans, Democrats, independents, we all need to get out there and vote and let the numbers speak so that there's no doubt about which way the election went. There are a, a host of other things that have been going on. Um, you know, the the latest. Uh, kerfuffle coming out of the, the White House is, you know, this black this about Donald Trump and his statement uh, while he was over in Europe uh, visiting a World War II uh, grave, uh, a cemetery rather, where American soldiers were, were buried who served in World War II and who died in battle in Europe and are, are buried there in places of honor. And, you know, basically he said to, you know, one of the other attendees that, you know, the, the people buried here were losers and suckers. Well, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm capsulizing that. I'm not, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, but the, the idea to call uh, American servicemen and women who died in the line of battle losers and suckers has as you might expect created an absolute firestorm of reaction uh... in this country and you know in, in other parts of the world as well uh... you know the the call out from veterans groups and you know former former service people you know and even you know injured veterans who you know he has said in the past You know, he doesn't want them to march in military parades because he doesn't think that's a good look. You know, Mr. President, these people died for our country and we deserve to give them every honor and reverence that we can. They are not losers. They are not suckers. And to me, if they, you know, are injured because of their service to this country, they are the most beautiful people on the planet. Uh, This is. You know, just another case of some of the things that the the opposition to the current president uh, are just feeling so strongly about. And, and I, for one, in this case, have to agree with them. So, you know, we'll we'll keep up with what happens with this as it goes forward. We'll follow up again next week and see what transpires from this latest uh, episode. Uh, right now, we'll we'll take our break here. And when we come back on the other side, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this past summer and where we are in 2020 and raise the question, are we looking at another uh, or similar situation to the summer of 1968, um, along with, you know, what role social media is playing in our political uh, system this year. So you're listening to fired up radio. My name is Steve right here on WJMS radio and double Mint radio.com. We'll be right back after the break.
1: Hi everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all that you're doing to help everyone in this country, make their voices heard in this year's election and in every election, your work has never been more important from the ongoing pandemic to the passion and protest we've seen for racial and social justice, it's clear that we're in the middle of a big moment in this country. And that means we need leadership that honestly reflects who we are and what we stand for. Our job between now and November is to make sure everyone we know understands that the power to make change rests on our ability to cast a vote. Fair and safe voting is going to be more important than ever this year. And that's why When We All Vote is fighting to expand vote-by-mail, in-person, early voting, and online voter registration. Now, I'm going to be honest, we're really going to need your help to make these efforts a success. Luckily, the first step is an easy one. Just spread the word. Make sure your friends, families, and communities are registered, know their rights, and are fully prepared to vote by mail this year or vote early in person. So go to whenweallvote.org to find out more and get yourselves, your families, and your friends ready to make their voices heard. Let's get more folks across the country trained with the tools, the resources, and the information they'll need to vote because this election couldn't be more important.
0: The preceding message was presented in public interest as a public service by your friends here at WJMSradio.com, where radio is reimagined. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fire It Up, right here on WJMSradio.com and across the pond on DoubleMintRadio.com in the U.K. Uh, let's pick up where we left off. As I said, talk a little bit about the climate here in the U.S. Uh, with all the unrest going on. Uh, back in August, uh, I believe it was the first week in August, uh, I, I did a segment of the show where I, I did a little uh, compare and contrast between the summer of 2020 and what we experienced in uh, 1967 and 68 uh, in that turbulent time. And I uh, wanted to revisit that because, you know, in, in the month since then, uh, tensions have not eased uh, very much. And in fact, many would say that they have escalated with uh, the the events that happened in Portland and and particularly the events that happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, just uh, you know, two weeks ago. And, you know, it, it just bears kind of taking another look at it. And I, I wanted to talk about an article that appeared on the Vox website uh, back in June where uh, the, the interviewer, um, Dylan Matthews of Vox, interviewed Heather Ann Thompson, a Professor of History and African, Afro-American and African Studies at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And uh, she is a scholar of the 1960s and 1970s protest movements. And, you know, the, the interview, uh, a very long interview, and you can find it on Vox, uh, but basically he posed the question, you know, what is the difference uh, between what is happening now and is it similar to or different from the unrest in the 1960s in Newark and uh, Detroit in 1967, for example, Um, And, you know, her reply really kind of hit the nail on the head with where we are right now in this country. And what she said was, there seem to be so many similarities, and I'm quoting her from, from the article. Because racial injustice just seems to be baked into the DNA of this country, periodically and throughout history, there come these moments when people just can't take it anymore. Uh, They feel that the injustice is so particularly glaring uh, or there's such a compendium of unjust events, one right after the other, that they just simply explode. Uh, These kind of explosions uh, of individual frustration and hurt happen all the time, every day. And then there are moments when something touches a nerve and there's a collective explosion. And at the time when I did this uh, on the show back in August, uh, we were still in the throes of the reactions to the death of George Floyd. And since then, we've had you know, a, a half dozen equally egregious uh, acts of uh, violence and, and killing, uh, particularly of people of color, uh, at the hands of various elements of you know, various law enforcement departments around the country. And this has just gone to stoke the flames of that unrest and just create a situation where uh, people just don't know what is going to happen next. An in an interview, uh, Professor Thompson uh, cited a, an event from 1955, and that was the, the death and lynching and mutilation of Emmett Till. Which formed another one of those, you know, this but no further reactions uh, in the American psyche. And, you know, you, you add that to what happened with the movement in the, the, the civil rights movement in the 60s when televised images of, you know, black people down south being beset with dogs and fire hoses and, you know, soldiers and And police in riot gear, uh, beating, you know, men, women and children with, you know, nightclubs and billy clubs. And it it just became one of those, you know, we're not taking this anymore moments in our country. And it it ended up affecting, you know, uh, very widespread change. Uh, She goes on to say. You know, so not only is the wanton murder of black men by racist whites similar to what has happened before in history, but is today's collective uprising. It's a mix of protest in terms of carrying signs and slogans, but also rage and tears and lashing out and like the like in the 1960s. There has been some looting because the glaring injustice of racial inequality is time and again accompanied by the injustice of economic inequality. Uh, That's why these moments, people who lash out uh, at the rich and property. So in that sense, we've been here before. Um, She does say that, you know, there's much that's different uh, as well, uh, although it's pretty scary. We have a president who has no regard for the First Amendment, the press, for calming dissent, for doing uh, concrete things that could make this a better situation rather than worse. We don't know our way forward from this moment. In the past, there were at least calmer heads at the top trying to figure out what to do to bring peace some people wanted more cops but others were saying that we actually need to make substantive changes and fix what got us into this mess and you know again this argument was from earlier this year and she was talking about you know a time that was you know fifty years ago but it is just as apropos today we we are seeing that the economic inequality uh, the 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 social inequalities, the racial inequalities that occur in this country, are you know just the dry tinder that you know a, a simple spark uh, of a, an egregious event can burst into just a huge flame of violence and death and destruction, uh, you know and and we've had these, you know we we have the situation you know where like George Floyd, uh, like Jacob Barker, uh, where the the violence that is bestowed upon people of color, in particular, in this country, just reaches a point of intolerance where people, you know, say, you know, enough, enough is enough is enough, and you know, the result is a reaction in public uh, through protest, through large-scale, you know, in- interventions, and then. In that tinderbox, you have the spark of a few, uh, whether they be, you know, white supremacists or white nationalists uh, who seek on the opportunity to enforce their their believed superiority uh, or through the actions of a few rogue police officers. And, And again, as I've said, Not all police are bad. Not all police are complicit in this. Although, and I will caveat this by saying we do not see a large scale across the board condemnation of these actions or, you know, prosecutions uh, of these actions by law enforcement of their own. All right. So we'll just put that into it. You know, we, we have the situation where. Uh, you know, people just feel that they have no hope, no alternative, no no remedy other than you know protesting and you know perhaps destruction of property and looting and so forth, uh, which just further fuels the flames because the, the property owners, many of whom are white, uh, you know feel the need to you know protect theirs. Uh, and, and again, you need look no further than the images of the McCloskeys, the, the couple in um, uh, Michigan, I believe, who, you know, very publicly were standing on their front lawn, uh, him with an automatic rifle, her with a, a handgun, pointing it with fingers on the trigger at a column of protesters marching past their house not stepping on their property, but heading to the mayor's house to protest the violence that has occurred. And, you know, add to that the latest event with the 17-year-old from Illinois, uh, whose mother drove him across state lines to Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, along with his AR-15 so that he could, quote, uh, assist in protecting property, close quote. And he ended up shooting three people Killing one and you know maiming a third by, by shooting his arm off, and then you know went back across the state line home, uh, walking past police with no actions taken. So you know when when people who are disenfranchised and people who feel like the system ignores them see the optics of that kind of event, uh, the the only reaction that you could expect of them is one of extreme outrage and anger and wanting to you know make their voices heard both through protest and unfortunately through more destructive actions as we have seen in certain cases now let's not discount the fact that there are others uh, agitators who have come into the mix uh, to shall we say stir the pot Uh, I, i think i mentioned last week that the individual known as umbrella man uh... who was you know decked out and head to toe and black and a black hoodie and carrying an umbrella uh, i guess to hide himself from surveillance cameras uh... was walking down the street ahead of a protest march smashing the windows of an auto zone uh... You know, allegedly and supposedly to entice looting um, you have people that are agitators that just show up to show off and you know e- express their views in the hopes that violence will erupt and unfortunately could give them pause uh, or reason uh, for an increased level of violence. Um, in, a, in another news story there are some some uh, memes and, and posts going around the internet of uh, groups of southern whites who are, You know, who have called out and threatened uh, an armed um, group of black individuals, the group is uh, NFAC, and they have made a very public statement that, you know, they are out to defend black people and the black community. Well, these groups are saying, you know, uh, among other things, uh, if they see. You know, an armed person, if they see you, meaning NFAC, walking down the street, that they are going to shoot you. That a, an armed black person uh, is a threat to them, is an active threat to them, and they are going to take them out. Now, you know, and this this group NFAC um, is, you know, very much a. Uh, controversial group uh, one of the things they've called for is for the United States government to give uh, black people in this country a portion of the country uh, for, for them for us and basically to leave us alone um, this is very reminiscent of arguments made uh, around the turn of the century by Marcus Garvey and others who were, were calling for a separate black state uh, within the United States, uh, essentially they were calling for the United States to give them uh, several of the states that had formed the Confederacy you know, in, in the times of slavery uh, for that to be a black nation on this continent. So you know, there, there's you know, discussion going on around that Uh, An argument going on around that as well. Um, You know, it's it's very clear that this is a contentious subject. And in the uh, interview, Professor Thompson goes on to talk about the similarities that exist between the protests that occurred around the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s and what's happening in the streets of America today. And one of the key things she points out is that there is a significant and substantial multiracial pres- presence in the protests of today, uh, which is true. If you've seen you know, the television and video images of you know, the Black Lives Matter rallies and marches going on, Um, there is a large number of people in these marches who, for lack of a better term, are not black. Uh, But that is similar to, if you go back and look at at video and images from the marches that were led in the 60s by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and others, um, you know, you see a a very blended uh, population representation there. There were, you know, People of all different races, all different religious backgrounds. There were men, women, children, uh, all marching for a cause they believed in. And that's still true today. And that among the protests going on today is one strong positive sign that we can take a hold of and hold up as an example of what the solution looks like. Um, you know, and it's 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 a lot of. Uh, Tied into, you know, what is perceived and what is fed and strengthened by the media, uh, which is going to segue us into our next segment here shortly. Um, You know, one of the things that we didn't have in the 60s and 70s was the continuous news cycle and the the omnipresent, you know, smartphone and videos uh, of what was going on. Uh, back in those days, you know, news was filmed, was sent back to a studio, and was aired at 6 o'clock and 11 o'clock at night, and then television shut down. So there was time for people to process the information that they saw, to reflect on it, and analyze it, and, and really gauge what they felt about it rather than just the, the constant barrage of inch by inch updates that we have today. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm, think, I'm saying without the video coverage, there would be a lot of really heinous acts that we have witnessed that never would have come to light, uh, perhaps until you know perpetrators were arrested and went to trial, whatever. But you know, it, it doesn't give us time to think deeply about what's going on. So, you know, the, the, the interview was, was very insightful in terms of she painted a picture of what was going on in the 60s and 70s and how that relates to what we're seeing today. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of similarities. Uh, there are a lot of things that, that happened then that are reprising themselves now. Uh, I think one of the big differences now is that we have so much better uh, and more coverage of it, both through you know, mainstream and, and uh, social media and internet media and, and all of these stations and all of the, the smartphones out there capturing this on video, that we have a bigger and better picture of what goes on and, and also in more real time. So let's move on from that and and segue into our next segment. Uh, I wanted to talk about the impact of social media that we're seeing, both in the political process in this country and also in the perceptions that uh, they are creating. Uh, starting off with the numbers, uh, the the Pew Research Center uh, did a poll back in mid August, uh, who on on what the American public believes the impact of social media is on political speech in this country. And essentially, and I won't get into all the details, I'll post a link to the poll on the Facebook page, Uh, but 73% of the American public uh, said they believe platforms like Facebook and Twitter practice and censorship of political speech. Uh, A slight rise from when they asked that question in 2018 of about a point or two points. Um, A majority of the people who identify as Democrat or Republican believe social media platforms censor users, but the belief is more common among among Republicans. Uh, A belief that social media companies practice censorship jumps to 9 in 10 for Republicans, while only 2 in 10 Democrats believe this to be very likely, and 40% believe it to be somewhat likely. 7 in 10 Republicans, or Republican-leaning respondents, said they believe social media favors liberals over conservatives, uh, which also rose by a few points from a similar survey in 2018. The leadership in Congress uh, and, and the Senate and the White House have focused on creating a perception that social media companies are biased against conservatives. Uh, however, top news shared on sites like Facebook leans toward right and far right leaning news outlets, according to a study released in June. In recent months, multiple news outlets have reported that leadership inside Facebook avoided moderation of conservative content in fear of fallout from conservative politicians. Now, we caveat that with, you know, uh, recent announcements by Facebook and Twitter uh, of stepped up efforts to remove accounts and remove uh, posts and tweets that violate uh, an updated policy on political views that they have so take that one with a grain of salt people you know the poll reflects american attitudes in a time when many fear disinformation or misinformation on social media platforms in the months ahead like the kind that plagued the 2016 presidential election a senate intelligence committee released its final report on 2016 election meddling uh... back in june and found that russian president vladimir putin personally ordered the attack. Uh, So, you know, the the Russian interference angle has been, you know, circulating around uh, both mainstream news and social media news and political talk, particularly, you know, at the administration level. Uh, Since since. You know, Donald Trump was sworn into office, and in recent months has been augmented by similar fears raised uh, against China and Iran and and several other players around the globe, uh, who you know the, the administration believes are going to be uh, interfering in our election. Um, so you know, it it raises the question exactly of how social media does shape. Uh, political campaign you know and you know this this current political season has given us several examples of that Uh, if you look at the campaign of uh, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg in the uh, presidential uh, run-up at the start of the year uh, he spent more than a billion dollars of his own money uh, before he dropped out of the race and more than 70 percent of that budget went towards advertising with a large and substantial portion uh, going on social media. Uh, It is clear that platforms like Facebook, like Twitter, like Instagram, and Snapchat, and others uh, have become a mainstay in the political process uh, that all parties and all candidates are using. Uh, If you go on YouTube right now, uh, you can't help but see multiple ads for, you know, both former Vice President Joe Biden, for President Donald Trump, for various uh, issues being raised by third parties and political action committees. They're all over the place. And, you know, in addition, when you talk about social media and we'll stick with YouTube for the moment, uh, if you go into YouTube and, you know, just put the term Trump 2020 in the search box or uh, Trump election or Biden election or Biden 2020, there are dozens of YouTube videos posted by various accounts on both sides of the political spectrum uh, that are you know, talking about what's right with Biden or what's right with Trump or what's wrong with Trump and what's wrong with Biden. Uh, why this political issue is dangerous? Why this this other one is one we need to support and to get behind? Um, it it has become uh, probably the overwhelming way that information is being sent out to uh, in, in, you know intended voters, particularly when you take into a, into account the coronavirus impact, where you know the idea, uh, with the exception of you know the Republican presidential nominee. The idea of going out and gathering, you know, 10, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people into a location for a political rally really is not something that is possible now due to the risk of, you know, the coronavirus. So what we're seeing is an alternative method for reaching these individuals rather than in bulk in a large arena uh, covered by, you know, network television is to go out through social media. And hit the millions and millions of followers and viewers out there with targeted ads and targeted videos, uh, and you know get your message out. Now, from a marketing standpoint, that's actually you know not necessarily a bad thing. Marketing works best when it is a a single shot approach rather than a scatter shot or a shotgun approach. So you know expect to see that multimedia and and social media. And online uh, videos is is going to line up uh, along with print and television media as the mainstays of political communication as we move from you know the 2020 election uh, and you know start to look to the 2024 election, which, if I'm not mistaken, will probably start doing on or around November 4th. Um, but you know it, it is it, it it's it's the way it is right now it's it's a thing so you know we just have to be smart about how we absorb information that we're getting from social media as i always said you, know, you need to check all sides you need to to listen carefully and find the truth and it, it's generally somewhere in the middle so you know that that just lines up with our standard call to action about being diligent in our information gathering. All right, as we're just about winding down our time, um, I would like to, to end the show uh, and, and step outside of politics uh, for, for a moment uh, to acknowledge the fact that uh, actor Chadwick Boseman uh, died from stage four colon cancer uh, on August 28th, uh, the announcement came out over that weekend, unfortunately my show had already been recorded and uploaded and I wasn't able to change it to acknowledge it uh, in more real time. But I couldn't let the opportunity go without just adding you know, my condolences and my profound sadness at the loss of this giant of a talent at such a young age. Um, And to add in, you know, uh, about someone who did not let cancer uh, define him, realized that he had struggled with this disease for four years. In that time, he had done, you know, both of the Avengers movies and the Black Panther movie and Du Bois uh, movie and the movie 42 where he played Jackie Robinson. All of during which when he was suffering with this illness. Um, you know, like many of us, I am affected by that. Uh, it, 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 really, it really struck home. Um, so, you know, I, I, I say, you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, rest in power, King T'Challa. And, you know, Godspeed on your journey to Wakanda forever. That's going to do it for our show this week. As always, if you have any comments or questions or information that you'd like to get, shoot us an email. Our email address is firedupradio at yahoo.com uh, Look for us on Twitter at rufiredup, You Fired Up? And I will be sending out some information uh, later on today or, or by the time the show airs on what we've talked about today. And our, our Facebook page is Fired Up Radio and you can find that on facebook.com Uh, We always look forward to talking to you and getting information and getting questions. I read every email that I get and uh, hope to hear from you. In the meantime, please stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Uh, For everybody here in in the show, for WJMS Radio, uh, enjoy the remainder of your Labor Day weekend. And I will talk to you all again in seven days. Take care, everyone.